Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Myan, the producer with our host, Dina Brodsky and Marshall Jones. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Art Grind podcast. I'm here with Dina Brodsky, and our guest today is a great painter and teacher, Alyssa Monks. Alyssa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be on your podcast, Marshall. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. So I, w- I have a couple questions here. First, I want to start, uh, just give us a sense of what life looks for you during uh, quarantine and lockdown. What have you been up to? A lot of painting, a lot of reading, a lot of Netflix, a lot of Zooming. <laughs> um, I've also been cooking like crazy. I made a, a little recipe book, a little cookbook myself. <laughs> did, yes. And um, I've picked... It's going to be the Alyssa Monk's recipe, you know, COVID recipe book. <laughs> exactly. It really is. It's, I, I just kind of pick up recipes and then try them out and change them a little bit and then I give them all grades and I throw everything out that's less than a nine. So all the nines and tens end up in my little, my little book. So then I just put pictures into Shutterfly and made a little, a little recipe book and I'm going to send them to people for Christmas. Oh my God. That's great. What's your, what's your favorite recipe in the whole book? Uh, there's a chocolate bourbon peanut butter cake. That is a little bit insane. Oh, that's yeah. great. That, that sounds absolutely amazing. So, by the way, speaking of lockdown, back in March, um, I mean, A, I think none of us thought that we would still be doing this next September, but um, kind of what, what happened to you back when everything first shut down? Like, where were you before that in life? And because I feel like there's always, you know, there, for everyone, there's like before March and after March. So what, what were you doing before? Gosh, um, things were great. I just moved into a new new apartment with a nice big studio area, and I was just settling in there. And um, I was looking forward to my retrospective in Columbus, Georgia, which was going to have, I don't know, thirty paintings or something like that. And I was excited to see all these these old paintings I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and we still managed to do that show, but it's only ten paintings, and I can't go and see it. But uh, <laughs> but we will do a virtual gallery tour. Um, but things were great. I mean, things felt really strong, really solid. And, and um, yeah, it all just kind of came to a halt. And, you know, sales went down and there were no more workshops to teach and uh, there was no place to go. It was, it was actually really terrifying. I, I mean, I don't live with anybody and I actually don't even have any pets. So it was kind of a, it was, it was a, it was a real terrifying moment. For sure. Yeah, I think everybody experienced, it's currently experienced still a lot of real tear around it. What, what do you feel like it did to your art? Well, I tried to, firstly, I, the first thing that happened was that I was like, okay, I'm going to go broke. I don't have, I'm not going to be able to survive. I'm going to have to move to I don't know, somewhere in New Jersey or sleep in my brother's basement or something. Like, so I, I first tried to solve the financial end. And um, so that required some finagling of 
PPP loans. And then, and then eventually I started to do the online teaching. And online teaching was great. But right as I was starting, Dina, you might remember me calling you uh, frantically. My Instagram account got hacked. And that was my communication with the world. So now I was really cut off. I, didn't, I couldn't even read people in social media. And they were just holding my social, my uh, Instagram account hostage for a week or so, and that was really disorienting. And then thank, thank Dina for, thank you, Dina, for helping me with that, and your friend who um, put me in touch with the right people. But um, I'm actually, you know, I never really considered how basically incapacitated, because we do rely on Instagram to kind of communicate with a lot of the world that we're not physically present in. And then yeah. during lockdown, we weren't pre- physically present anywhere. We were all like in our apartments, not going anywhere. And that was the lifeline. I, I'm so happy that got solved. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was, it, you know, it, it was such a learning, a, a, like a learning lesson too, because I realized I have to really work on my mailing list more instead of being so heavily reliant on Instagram. But in any case, that was the first horror, which was nothing compared to, you know, what was to come. So, um, but online teaching was a whole learning curve and that was my next, my next venture for the, you know, took me almost through the summer. Um, and do you then, do that through an organization or is it, uh, uh, are you building this yourself, the online? Teaching? I just built it. I built it myself. It was very much at a la carte, you know, sign up if you want to come weekly. My goal was to make it very accessible, very affordable, low commitment. And so that I could learn it, you know, and figure out how to, how to host a class that way. And, you know, getting all the technology was not easy because, Everybody was buying up webcams and, you know, I'm on Craigslist try, paying like $400 for a $100 webcam and <laughs> trying try to meet the guy was like, okay, uh, put it down on the floor and I'll come over and get it. <laughs> you know, put the money over here. It was just, you know. oh yeah, so there was a lot to learn back then. And, um, and then, you know, I stopped teaching because I started to really want to focus on painting uh, Forum did a little show that's up now of small works that I did during the first few months of the quarantine. And they were kind of a continuation of what I'd been doing, but they took a little bit of a weird turn. And then that was kind of done. And I wanted to start work that was really more about this experience, you know, and I've had a few experiences in my life that have done that to my work where it just kind of puts the brakes on everything and it's like, okay, you got to start over. And that's how I felt about this. So I, I just kind of started a new series that, of course, it's going to be all self-portraits because there's no one else here. And, um, but they're really distorted, really um, abstracted. Yeah, you probably can't even tell they're me, hopefully. And they're just, you know, through this vaporous droplet-like um, filter, kind of like the shower series, but a little more aggressive and a little more anxious. And I, you know, I just want this work to be so uh, reflective of how this feels, you know, and, there, and all the phases of it, because it's not like every day is terror. Some days are just absolute boredom and some days are just grief. and Some days are actually euphoric where I'm just like, wow, you know, this is great. <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere. Um, 
and then there's some days that like I, I have been studying a little bit of Jungian philosophy and the shadow self and um, kind of understanding different parts of my own psyche because, you know, there's no one else here. So, um, <laughs> so it's kind of an integration of, of this whole personal experience of what I've been going through and what I think a lot of people are going through because that's what ends up happening is our unique experiences aren't necessarily that unique. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't try to, I don't try to intellectualize what I do so much. I try to just go from my gut and go right to the thing that's so scary and awful and triggering and just be with it. And sometimes it fails and sometimes it succeeds. But at this point, I think that's what I want to do is just kind of stare at the, at the scariness and the uncertainty and just let it be there. Cause I also tried a lot of ways to, um, <laughs> to get rid of it. Um, you know, drinking too much, eating too much, uh, doing all those kinds of things. And that doesn't work. So, <laughs> uh, pandemic's still here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think it's been, it's had a really big effect on my, on my everything. I mean, really like so many different aspects of my life, my social life, my personal life, my life philosophy. And then of course my art making philosophy and even teaching. I mean, teaching has been, um, you know, for me, I, I would always try to figure out a way to construct a class that would be as helpful as possible with the least amount of, um, extra stuff, you know, so to get, so people get the most out of it in the least amount of time. And I would try to gear it towards as many people as I could. And what's happened this year is I've taken on a much more one-on-one approach, a much more um, specific kind of way. So even in the online classes, I would start to dive into a specific subject. Um, and explore it. And, and it would be something that I'd have to learn about. So that, that would be fun and interesting. And then I started doing mentorships um, with people over Zoom. And that has been so cool. I mean, to really get to know somebody and their work personally, meet with them every couple of weeks, look at what they're looking at, understand what their goals are, and, and talk it through with them in this way that like you have all the time in the world, you know, um, it has been so satisfying and it's made me think more about my own approaches and my own art philosophies. And, um, you know, I think we're, it's an important job we're doing right now, this art making, you know, it's, of course, it's not healthcare and it's not legislation, but we tell the story of it later, you know? And so, because uh, I that's something I wonder about in my own life a lot like the we aren't healthcare workers you know we aren't putting out fires or anything what what do you think the value of art is in this time well I think we are the storytellers of it we're the the ones who record the experience uh, what it's like you know you know, part of it is that things are changing so much right now in a time of kind of change or revolution, which is kind of what this is, like so much is changing. What people have to think about is 
what what goes during that time like what goes what stays and what comes and what goes it might who knows it might be art fairs it might be galleries it might be life at, you know it might be our social life for <laughs> for years it might be the ways that we i don't know choose romantic partners um and what comes i i don't know i'm not sure anyone does uh but i was thinking about it and art is what stays like people still want to make it people still want to learn about it and i think people actually still want to buy it so um uh, what comes i mean we'll figure that out in a year or two or three what goes is you know life as we knew it but art is one of the things that remains meaningful and maybe is more meaningful now actually yeah, yeah i love that that's really beautiful and it, and just listening to you list all of those things made me realize how much i've just stopped caring about the art fairs and the shows and even the sales sometimes, except to just, you know, make enough to pay rent. But I just am focusing so much on the experience of making the work and like that relationship. Yeah. And you still care about art, right? Like like when all of that stuff is stripped away, what you actually care about is being in the studio, making what you make. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a, a life raft for me. I mean, even since I was a kid, I would, use um, painting specifically, sometimes drawing too. But um, I would use art making to, um, as a place to kind of contain my experience where it was unfiltered and mine and I didn't have to apologize for it. You know, I didn't have to um, curate it. I didn't have to manage it. I didn't have to make it palatable for anybody. And that's how I approached making art. And it was, that's how I started. Then, you know, education and learning and yeah, okay, you've got to start making it um, somewhat palatable, I guess, that, that does enter the, uh, the thought process sometimes. But I'm very rebellious and that sometimes actually when people like the work too much, I'm, I don't like it anymore. You know, I'm kind of like, oh, there must be something wrong with it. Um, but, I, you know, I just showed a, a piece to somebody and they said that's, that's incredible, but it's, it's really sad to look at it or it's really hard. It's painful to look at that painting. And I'm like, that's a win right there because of course it should be painful to look at this painting. It'd be painful to look at, you know, the art that that's being made right now. Sometimes I, I don't know. I tend to be very earnest about the process and try to squeeze every drop of authenticity and, um, honesty out of your work, you know? I think the, the world we exist in has certain values and standards that aren't our own. And it kind of pushes, foists those on us. And it felt like that is one thing that I do like about this, the current times, that I do get nervous that it'll be taken away. I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but it's like, it feels like what you were talking about back to just making things for yourself. It feels like a pause button got paused on the, um, the hustle of it all, you know? And I feel like that's what I like about art. And I really don't like all the other stuff. And I'm happy to see when that went away. Yeah. Yeah. I just, kind of have always all along been pushing that stuff out um, of my consciousness. I, know, I don't like 
thinking about that. It's not inspiring. It's not inspiring to me to think about the business side of it and um, how something is going to be received and the criticism of it. I, I just don't care. It's not why I do this. Um, I can't even believe the good stuff, to be honest. <laughs> like when somebody really likes the work, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like it that much. But what I do strive for, what I do, or not strive for, but what I do really love is when somebody gets the work. What I do really love is when somebody gets the work. When they look at it. And mm-hmm. Yes. When they look at it and they feel it and they know it and they understand it and it resonates and it hits them in their gut and they get it. Then I'm like, that is why I'm doing this. You, do you feel like there's many that do that for, with your work? No, I, I feel like it's... For myself, it's, it's, it's generally quite narrow that I feel like people, they seem like they know what, what I'm doing. And I typically get along with those people fairly well. And I wonder if you feel like there's a lot of people or a little bit or in the middle who get what you're doing. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know how to think about numbers that way. Um, all I care about are the ones that do. You know, Alyssa, I, actually, I, I remember when I first met you, and one of the things I like about your work is you're probably one of the people whose work has continuously changed the most over the last, you know, however many years, 15 years, right? And I met you and you were probably in your late 20s and I thought that you were so glamorous and so successful and you what you were at like, and it seemed like you really, really, like you hit on something that, you know, everyone liked, which talking to you now, you, you know, I realize you probably got sick of, but um, like, it felt like you kind of hit the thing. It was really like, you know, like, like it was beautiful. Uh, like you had that girl in the shower series that, you know, everyone liked and it would go viral on the internet. And when people talked about you, they basically talked about those paintings and then it started to change. And first it was, I feel like what was changing was the way you painted them. And then the content started to change as well and I've always wanted to ask ask you about that except I was always too you know too, too intimidated by you so I mean, now that we're all trapped in our apartments and, and we're all on zoom <laughs> well you should not be intimidated by me I don't think anybody should be intimidated by me I'm not uh I'm a, I'm kind of a, a little bit goofy and silly so don't worry about that but um I think you're right I think what I did was I learned how to, I wanted to learn how to paint a certain way. And, you know, I got the education at the New York Academy and learned how to paint this way that I thought would be the most serious, you know, like taken seriously because it was so real. It was so um, rendered and accurate and I don't know, anatomically correct and illusionistic. And back then that's what the Academy was like, you know, we're talking 20 years ago. And, um, and then I kind of went with that for a while and really enjoyed challenging myself with different subjects. And that, that shower series was a challenge. I mean, it was painting water seemed impossible to me, you know, 10 years before that. It was like water. How do you paint water? And then I just dove in and, well, not to make a pun, but I, I dove into it. Um, and it was, it was a way of, you know, continuously challenging the technique and will it work here? Will it work there? And then um, there was a review in the post, I think, and it 
And this person was talking about my paintings look just like photographs. And I had such a visceral reaction to that that bothered me so much. I just hated that critique, hated it. And so I realized I had to um, make work that didn't look like photographs. That was just going to be something that wouldn't, I wouldn't be satisfied unless I, I, you know, made another turn, made another, made another challenge. And this one was going to be to figure out how to make work that, that is not looking like the photograph that I'm using. Cause I didn't want to stop using photographs. You know, I, I liked that versatility and the possibility, you know, I, I, I respect people who work from life. I understand how valuable that is, especially for learning and teaching and all of that. For me, working from life is, is, um, is a pleasure, but I can't do all the things I want to do there. So, you know, and I love photography. I've just always been mad about photography. And um, you used to do all of the darkroom stuff and black and white photography, all of that. What do you think it gives your paintings that, that life does? Like what are, what are the um, things you're looking for for it to give you? Well, to be honest, it's the opposite of what you would think. It actually has given me so much more room to abstract reality. You know, so one of the things I, I started to do once I learned to take pictures and develop them in the darkroom was I would start sandwiching negatives together. I would start taking very abstract pictures of surfaces and you know, things really close up and, and try to make this unexpected reality. So it was, it was reality, but it was just so unexpected. You couldn't orientate yourself inside of it. And that to me has always been a really cool an interesting place to go. And so when I'm painting from life, I can't really access that that well. Maybe I don't have a good enough imagination, but I find that photography really allows me to mix and match and pile things and abstract things and stretch them apart and put them back together in a way that is unexpected. So I, I, and I just, I love the medium of photography and, and blending the two, but I didn't want to make paintings that looked like photographs. That was really... I kind of painted myself into a corner there. God, another pun. So, um, <laughs> so I had to figure out how to get out of that. And, I, and Dina, you're right. I started to change my technique a little by using a lot more paint and then um, painting from imagination a little bit more. And then I had this, like, this problem of subject matter where I really didn't want to paint that shower situation anymore and I didn't know what I did want to paint so um I kind of had to quit and this was around when my my mother uh, passed away and I just didn't care about painting anymore at all and that and what I mean by that was all the stuff Marshall that you mentioned before that like that grind of trying to put out work and make a business and make sales and have a brand all of that became so unbelievably meaningless to me. And just like a, not even an irritation, just like a, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to focus my effort and attention on that. And, and if I have to stop painting, then fine. I'm not going to paint anymore. But I went on this trip um, to up in, where was it? It was upstate New York, near Lake Placid. And, you know, we stayed in these cabins and 
I was like, I guess I should bring paints because I that's <laughs> what I do when I want to do something. So I brought paints and I just started messing around with them and not painting anything from life. Definitely no water, no shower, no figures. And just like messing around with the stuff, you know, with the material. And I reconnected with the actual paint and I fell in love with it again. You know, in the way I, that I remember doing when I first started painting, when I was eight years old, I remember the first time I smelled linseed oil, you know, and it was just like, oh, this stuff is so good. What is this? It's messy. It's bright. It's permanent. It's relentless. You know, it's got so much power and, um, and you can't control it. You know, I mean, even if you learn to control it, it's still, it's, it's got a mind of its own. When it's at its best, it's got a mind of its own. Who introduced you to linseed oil? I mean, oil paint. It was the way you're describing it. Um, I, I mean, for me, it was much later. I was 18, I think. But I remember the first time a teacher of mine let me borrow some of his oil paint. And he's like, here's the stuff you mix it with. And I remember opening that bottle and being, I want to live in a place that smells of this. And yes. it's yeah. always, right? I know. So who, I love that. Who gave you your first bottle of linseed oil? Well, so I had a teacher who, uh, the art teacher at my little grammar school told my mother, she said, you know, this kid should take art lessons. And because um, at that point I could stay in the lines and I guess, you know, didn't, uh, I could cut along the line. You know, it was neat is really what I was. <laughs> but um I don't know if that's talent or just neatness, but uh, it, it, was, um, it was something my mom took seriously and she signed me up for painting classes. Like, I, I guess she was like, if, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to really do it. And she signed me up for this adult painting class in what they called an art barn in, in uh, the town I grew up in. And it was literally a barn and you would go up the stairs to the, to the attic and it just reeked of linseed oil. It was just caked, like caked on palettes and paints and these old guys making still lives. And it was dead serious. It was not in a kid's class, you know. And I just remember that whole experience. I got the, um, you know, that wooden art box with the oil painting set of those like 10 colors that everybody gets in their first oil painting set and the little bottle of turpentine, a little bottle of linseed oil. And I started, I never stopped. It was, it was a smell, but it, you know, the experience of going back out in the woods without expectation of making something specific that had to be for a show or had to be for Alyssa Monk's work portfolio or whatever. I reconnected with that feeling and what ended up happening were these landscapes. And it was the weirdest, most surprising thing because I, hate landscape painting. Really hate it. Really, really hate it. I mean, I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't like painting outside. I, I, like, I want to paint people, you know, I want to paint faces and humans and um, water. I, I like landscapes. Oh God, no. <laughs> I just couldn't believe this was what started to show up for me, but yeah. And then that's but, what but, happened. The, but then the landscapes, I feel like they kind of crept into your figures, right? The, yeah. um, did it all start there, like in the woods outside of Lake Placid? And then they just kind of, because, you know, right now you, you paint figures, but I feel like the landscape is either like superimposed on it or it, it almost like crept inside your paintings. Exactly. You're right. It, it started to be, you know, hmm, how do I explain it? It was both 
an emotional thing and then a just kind of a natural organic visual excitement thing but i was very much aware of when my mom was right about to die how much the the how much nature and trees and the turning of the leaves and um just being outside was such a comfort to me yeah it was really weird and uh when she died we had hurricane sandy right afterwards actually delayed her her funeral by a week and there was just so much of this natural world that was um it was it was so comforting to me because it was bigger than anything i could understand you know it was like holding me the first thing i did was go to africa after she died and you go to africa and there nature is still very much in control you know it's not we're visiting you know it, nature wins there and it it really does wake you up to how small you are and how much this earth is just holding you and i i know it sounds a little woo woo but for me at that time i needed that i really needed that cuz it was overwhelmingly painful and so these trees were just like they were role models you know they were there they could stand and weather the storms and they fed each other underground and they they just knew how to stand there and i i just started to love trees and then i actually went back and um well i had this idea i said well what if i reflect one of these big landscape paintings that i'm making and into the glass and then i can combine the shower and the landscape So I literally did that. I literally like reflected a painting into the glass and then photographed it. And then I thought, well there's easier ways of doing this. I could just sandwich the the pictures together, you know, or or make one transparent, superimpose it. And I thought, wait a second, I used to do this in photography class back when I was in college. So I went back and looked at what I was working on 20 years before. and it was like that's what i want to paint now it, i couldn't paint it then because i didn't have the skill set and now it was like oh my god and so that just opened up a world of i don't know what this means i don't know what it's about i don't care but i have to figure out this urge to paint you know this transparent landscape over a body and i don't know if it has to do with death or life or birth or nature but to me it was this wait a second maybe we're not so different from a tree you know our nerve endings are like branches and that's so sensual and you know there's just so much um connection there and i couldn't wait to get out of the out of the bathtub for sure <laughs> you know so this this seemed like a real a real uh way to go so i explored that for you know a while and that took on a different level too and all of these things you know even working with water was a way to challenge the the real you know to challenge the perception of of what we actually see and um explore more abstract ways of thinking and seeing and to kind of layer visual spaces into something that is not expected or predictable so that realism you, is oh, very much a yeah realism becomes kind of a let's see what do you want to call it it's a it's more of a a choice or a selection and especially now it's all blowing up now look at how many different realities people are having 
you know? And they think that theirs is the only one. They believe their set of political facts or their set of COVID understandings or, you know, and it's massively different. My careful is so different from the next person's careful. And like, there's just no reality anymore. It's all everybody's chosen distorted perception. And maybe it's always been that way, but to me now it is so apparent and that's what I'm exploring now. And I don't know, I feel like there's still branches and there's still, and there's still steam and water and there's still a face, but none of it's literal, none of it's recognizable. And it's, it's exciting, um, but I have no idea where I'm going to end up with this. <laughs> so, If that's an adventure, I feel like that's a much more interesting one than if you stuck to being a very, very successful painter of, you know, girls in the shower, which by the way, you've almost created a movement of Alyssa Monk's knockoff, uh, you know, like shower painters. I've actually always meant to ask you, like, do you feel anything when you see a new one of those kind of sprout up? Like someone doing exact, almost exactly what you were doing, I don't know, 15 years ago. I love it. I think that that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that's one of the greatest compliments. You know, I'm teaching myself to play guitar in COVID. And the way I'm teaching myself is by imitating uh, artists, guitarists that I, and singers that I love. You know, and, and it would be so cool to one day have conversations with them and be like, look, I can play your song. You know, and, 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 and it would be a little different and it would suck compared to what they did. But... Um, but that's the way people can find their own vision is to kind of explore other visions. So I, I think it's great. I don't, I don't have any ownership over showers, you know, get it. It's, it's funny because I've talked to painters who are incredibly kind of bitter and resentful every time someone, you know, like does what they, what they perceive of is as copying their content or copying their technique. And you seem completely okay, you know, like, and I think part of it is because you've just moved on, you know, like you don't own it. You kind of lived in it and, you know, made a body of work and then you're moving on to the next thing and the thing after that. Yeah, no, the only thing I fear is that, um, that someday I will stop being curious. And so because, I think because I'm so worried about that, I'm constantly trying to cultivate curiosity, which is going to lead you out of any place that you've been in. So yeah, you just keep moving forward and forward and, and your idea, new ideas come. So I, I mean, if anything, when I see somebody kind of stuck making work that looks like somebody else's, mine or anybody's, I almost feel bad for them in a way if they feel like they don't have anywhere to go, you know, like they, they're not making it their own or they're not exploring. It's not a jumping off point for them. If they're just kind of staying in that, then I, I kind of want to reach out to them and be like, hey, let's Let's shake it up. You know, where, where do you want to go? Because it, it doesn't look good for them. It looks great for me. You know, like, hey, people want to imitate my work. Um, but it doesn't look good for the person who's doing the imitating, you know? So it's, it's kind of... Uh, it's, but, 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 you know, maybe you're right. And actually the way that you described it um, is, is actually really almost poetic. Like maybe it is just them learning how to play your song and almost like they can't talk to the real Alyssa Monks, but their paintings can maybe talk to an Alyssa Monks painting as they're tr- learning their chords and learning their kind of, you know, music theory. Exactly, and, yeah. I mean, we, you remember we did master copies at the Met and... 
you know, we'd study the paintings of old masters and all that kind of stuff and try to imitate how they would paint. Actually, not that I'm an old master, but I'm saying it's a way to learn. The, um, the, there's a book by James Elkins I love to death called What Painting Is. And in it, he has uh, his students try to recreate a, a, a Rembrandt and a Monet. And uh, who's the other one? It's not coming to me. But in any case, the, the Monet one is the most interesting because they had the hardest time trying to figure out how it was made. But in, in really studying it and really analyzing the brushstrokes and you know, the pigments and perhaps even the mediums and the order of brushstrokes even, um, and what kind of brushes were used and, and just kind of analyzing it, you basically open yourself up to, to learning more vocabulary, you know, learning yeah. more about the materials. So that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's a, it's a matter of painting from a pl- place of curiosity and um, almost a gratitude for the material, like a respect for the material versus I want to make something awesome. You know, like that, that kind of, I just want to make something cool or awesome or I want to be an art star. Like that's going to, that whole process is going to be so um, anticlimactic and exhausting and not so engaging, I think. I feel like you were one of the people um, who became an art star at like a very young age. Was that a place you meant to be or was it just something that happened to you by accident and, you know, you like barely noticed it? I I really feel weird about this because I don't think of myself that way. Um, I really think I'm still learning. I'm still trying to make that one great meaning. All right, right. Alyssa, that's at least what it looked like from the outside. Like like maybe it'd be a little weird if you at 27, 28, oh yeah, you know, I totally made it. But from like the perspective of someone like me, like I was studying when I think you were starting to have your first shows and starting, you know, kind of coming into your own. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be just like her. Like the, the, um, the, you are so nice to me. Um, no, I, I, it was a complete accident. I mean, when I went to school, I was not, I was nowhere near the, the students that I was, that I was studying with. They were amazing. And I was idolizing my classmates like crazy. And I mean, just, I didn't think I was going to have this at all, but I loved it so much. I loved it. I was just fascinated by the learning and the exploring and like what, what I could do this week that I couldn't do that week, you know, and, um, and I kind of just kept up that feeling and didn't think about anything else. And so I was addicted. I was completely in my own world. I wasn't looking out at anything so much so that when the post did call me for that interview, I was like, what is the, why, why are they even calling? I don't get it. You know? And it wasn't, then that it was kind of a turning point. There was kind of a, um, a series of papers in Italy and, and in London, like rag papers, you know, like the free papers you get on the subway that started noticing my work. I had no idea this was going on. And actually, I think it started in Germany. And I didn't know what was going on at all. I, why would I know that? And um, then the post called and because they, they picked it up from the London papers. And then... Um, and I was like, I don't know what, but I, I knew things were going to be different after that for some reason, like something was going to be different. And I would have to start worrying about a public version of my life in some way. And I didn't like that at all. 
I really felt like that's not, I'm not going to want to do that. <laughs> I get very, I, I remember, um, you know, I, I, I would just, I would just think of myself as like, you know, nobody, but I'd be walking around the school, maybe like 15 years ago, maybe when you first met me, I'd walk around the New York Academy. I didn't think anybody knew who I was. I was just walking around doing my thing. And somebody said to me, gosh, you're so aloof. And I was like, what? And I felt terrible. And I, it occurred to me that people know who I am and I don't know who they are. And this was awful. And I was like, oh my God, I better just smile at everybody and just be like, I don't know how to do this. It was not, this was not an interesting thing for me. This whole being known was really not the goal for me. I really just wanted to stay in the studio and keep learning stuff at the, the way I was as a student. That's honestly the, the truth. And I still do. I still really, really do. It sounds like you actually are. Like, it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. You've just figured out a way to make your life work in a way where, you know, I guess like you don't have to worry. I mean, I'm assuming you don't have to worry about things financially where you're doing well enough where you can just be in your studio constantly learning how to do stuff, like how to do something you didn't know before, how to explore, how to, you know, like, 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 like how to go to the next place. Yeah. I mean, in the work, um, in the work, I always feel like, there's always a, there's always a cycle where I'm like, oh my god, I have this idea. Okay, let's get started immediately. I can't stop myself. I gotta start, and I have this unbelievable confidence, like an arrogance almost, of the amazing thing I'm about to do, and then I get hit with this like incredible humble pie where I'm like, oh shit, this is really hard, and I don't think I could do it, and it's gonna suck, and it's gonna be so bad. And then I stay in that for a long time and then try to dig myself out of it, which is great. And I, that's the cycle for me. But that's my private studio life, right? Um, and in there, I'm not, I'm nobody. I'm always at the bottom working my way up. That, and I like that. That's my, my private little world. Now, then there's teaching. And then there's being part of the New York Academy family. And there's, you know, getting called to do workshops out in the world and speeches and doing shows and public appearances and events. And, and that is, that's a whole other um, skill set of like something I was like, no, I hated public speaking in college. Are you kidding? I would rather write a 30 page term paper than get up for five minutes in front of my classmates. Hated it. Hated it. And I would beg my teachers to please let me do something else. Um, but to, to get to a point where I'm at now where I absolutely love to teach and love to speak publicly and love to share these ideas that I have, um, that has been a whole other thing that I have really embraced as being not about being well-known, but about being excited to share the, the experience of making stuff. You know, and to encourage other people to engage with that part of their brain, of their curiosity, you know, of letting go of expectation and just getting curious and experimental and, and diving into this really weird mystery of making stuff. You know, so it's, it's not coming from a place of, I don't know, being a well-known anything or what did you say, art star? 
Okay, well, that's, that was how people referred to you back, you know. No, like, one, no one did that. Yes, yes, they did. At the Academy, they did. And it, it, you're right, it was ex- probably exactly 15 years ago. So I was still a student and you were the example of what you could become if you maybe like, you know, worked really hard and played your cards right. Oh, well, if, if there's anything I want to be able to do with that kind of a platform, it's to encourage people to, you know, to love painting and to paint for reasons of, of curiosity and, and to paint what they know and what they love and what they care about and not worry about being an art star, not worry about that kind of measure of success because that's so defeating. It's so depleting and, and ugh. Do you feel like that's something that changed about art school or maybe specifically the academy right now? Um, because, you know, when I was there, no one expected to um, even like have a job, right? <laughs> like that, like I feel like people were graduating from there. No one expected to have a gallery. You know, I guess the reason that people knew about you was because you were one of the few people that did. Uh, no one really expected a teaching job in New York. They maybe thought that like if they got lucky, they could get one in Nebraska. And so people were in there just to get these skill, you know, these not particularly practical skills, uh, and then figure out some way to kind of, you know, scramble in life and, you know, be able to keep doing this. And now when I'm there, I feel like there's much more of an expectation of people who, you know, they expect to have a gallery, they expect to have collectors, they, you know, they expect to make, be able to kind of have a, make a living at this, which on one hand is kind of admirable. And on the other hand, is it really optimistic? And, you know, it, it, it's a bit, to, to me, it seems very foreign. Like, really, you expect to be able to like do this in life? Like, I expect to be able to do this in life? That's insane. You know, you're, you're so right. I mean, that's a really great way to describe the there's been a shift. And I don't know if it's just at the academy or if this is kind of a generational thing. Um, yeah, I did not expect to live off of this ever, ever. You know, I mean, I thought, well, I'm going to be the greatest waitress ever and um, <laughs> somehow make all my tips in one night and then I can, you know, have five roommates. Like, I didn't care what I was going to have to do. But yeah, definitely my parents, my family were made it very clear to me that I would not support myself with (laughs) art making and to have another plan. And I still wanted to go to grad school and take out all the loans. And, but, you know, tuition has increased like crazy and it's not just at the Academy, it's on par with other schools, but um, I think there's a different kind of expectation about, you know, having a practical means of supporting yourself and whatever you choose, it has to be to support yourself because things are different now in in the world. I mean, when I graduated college, Clinton was president. Everybody got a job. Um, The economy was great. You know, it it wasn't as scary as it is now where it's like, you can't, you can't afford to waste your time on art because it's not going to make you any money. Like, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do this now you know, if I was a, a student now. And, and so, yeah, there is more of a drive towards having a pragmatic approach to the educational side of it. And I do see the, the damage of that. I can see not in the artwork that's being made. I think maybe the artwork is actually better, but in the mindset, in the attitude and in the frustrations of, and the, the discontentment of, of students sometimes where they, they are much more upset than we ever were. 
you know, if they don't get what they expected. And that's heartbreaking. That's, that's really heartbreaking. That's sad. It makes me so sad for them. Would you have been happy, like, because I'm, I'm the same as both of you, never had a thought that you could make money at this or this would actually be my life. I was sort of like, I'll always have a job and do this on the side. And right now I have opportunities to learn how to do this as well as I can. So it always felt like year to year almost was my plan. There's some parts of me that feel envious of the person who's waiting tables and just doing this on the weekends. Like that seems like a pretty nice life to no, me. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, no, no. Marshall, have you ever weighed a table? I'm sure you have, but like, it's so boring. Yeah. It's so boring. Like, <laughs> it's hard too. That they, they abuse you. Oh my God. By the time I was in grad school, I knew that I'd be a bad waitress. And in a way, I actually always thought that I'd be able to make, you know, I didn't, I never thought I'd get rich off painting, but I always, I always thought I'd be able to make a living off of it. And right now I look back at my 22 year old self and being like, was I crazy? And like crazy and entitled, right? Uh, which I must've been in order to not doubt myself ever. My parents like spent most of my undergrad and grad school being like, so when are you going to get a real, like a real major and a real job? Yeah, but I think, you know, part of the, the calling of being creative is getting scrappy and figuring out ways to make money at it. I mean, what you've done with Instagram is incredible. You know, that that's like, it's fantastic. And there's a lot of ways to make, to make money in different aspects of this kind of world. And you can, you know, figure out your own way, but it's not, it's definitely not a clear path for anybody. It's not like, you know, you go to, you go to, law school or business school and get a degree and then you get a job and that's, that's it. You know, um, you have to get really scrappy with trying to figure out ways to rub money to, you know, rub dimes together and, and, and make it work. But, and it's sacrifice. And yes, there is a certain arrogance about it and a certain ego about it and a certain, like, I can, I can do this. Of course you have to believe you can do it. If you, who else is going to, believe in it for you. You know, that's, that's where you get the gas in the tank is that you feel you can do it. Um, but it's not because you think you're extra special. It's because you're going to do the work. You're going to not give up. You know, there's a, there's a, um, a really good Ted talk about grit. And I think her name is Angela Duckworth, who wrote a book about the, the reason people are actually successful it has nothing to do with talent or finances or intellect, but it has to do with grit. It's just, you don't give up. You never stop. And that's, that's it. I have a question along those lines because I'm struck by hearing you talk and learning more about your life, how there's a real sense of, I don't know if like maturity is the right word, but you, you take risk, which that takes a certain amount of confidence, maturity, you're not sitting stagnant. And I'm wondering if your art teaches you that or you had that level in you before you start doing art and it makes you a better painter or it's, it's sort of that, that attitude going into everything. What do you think the, um, the primary ingredient is? Well, I think about how I, how old, like how I was when I started this, I was just a kid and there were no stakes, you know? So I felt like this doesn't matter. You know, like there's, it's not a risk at all, but in every other aspect of my life, I am 
actually very conservative, uh, except politically. Uh, but no, I am very conservative about my finances and about taking risks financially or um, in re- in relationships or uh, travel. Like I'm I'm actually not a big risk taker in in many other places, but in my work, I feel like there's no there's no danger. What's going to happen? You know, like there's more canvases at the store. You just buy another one and start again. And I and I feel like because I started when I was so young, I still had that unselfconscious, no one cares what I'm doing anybody, nobody's watching me. You know, nobody nobody's looking. And I I got to have that that kind of protective incubation for decade for a decade or at least before anybody cared. And um and that was great. So I I, I developed a, a certain kind of um I don't know if it's even courage, but it, like a relationship to art making that isn't precious. But I feel like there are a lot of people in your position, like Dina was saying, you know, you were certainly someone I knew about when I was um, in art school and stuff. And it's like a lot of people in your position would have created those same paintings over and over again. And probably their career would have just kept going, you know, sort of further and further up, their, their career wouldn't have taken a hit for it. And so it took, I just see like there's a lot of integrity in what you're doing, willing to move that must be scary, you know? I, I can see what, um, why it would look that way. And, and there was a moment where I was a little bit, before my mother got sick, and I was like, I hate doing these shower paintings. I can't do another one. I'm going to shoot myself if I have to do another one of these. I was feeling a little trapped. A little trapped is what I would say. But what scared me more than changing what I was doing was getting stuck and not liking what I was doing. You know, that to me was much more of a problem that I would be like stuck in a in a in this rut of painting the same thing over and over again and hating it and feeling like I can't move and I can't invent anything or, or grow anymore. That to me was a way bigger problem than taking a risk and maybe failing. And I did. I mean, I made a lot of paintings in those five years that are huge messes. And you know what? No one cares. Some of them that I thought were big failures, people love them. And some of them um, are riskier than others. And it doesn't matter. There's really no... There's nothing at stake. It really doesn't matter as much as you'd think. You know, it, if anything, you're supposed to take those risks. That's what an artist does. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to tear everything down and re- reinvent it over and over. And that's, that's the definition, I think, for me. If, I, if I'm not being too presumptuous, it, it feels like you're in this for what I, whatever this matters for what it's worth that I would say are the right reasons to do art, to challenge yourself, grow, learn as much as you can about yourself through this process. Um, and I'm just kind of curious about what, what the, what motivates you to do this? Am I sort of on the right track with those thoughts about your motivations? Yeah. I mean, I love this conversation because I'm really right in the middle of this in the, in the studio right now where I, I keep going down the same known path and there's a safety and, and a certain kind of way to start a painting and 
a process. And then I just rebel and I'm like, I hate this process. <laughs> I want to tear it all down. And to me, it's like, if this is the perfect place to do that. You know, like, where else can I do that? Where else can you really just like rip something apart and, and, and then it has zero consequences? Like nothing is going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. So I'm actually really relishing right now this, um, this feeling like I'm about to destroy something. You know, is, is that what, <laughs> is that yeah. what you're going to do? Like right when, after you get off the Zoom call, you'll go back to the studio and um, destroy the things that you spent all morning making? You know, it's kind of like that. So I, I've been starting these, these paintings and they start them in this really kind of rough way and with lots and lots of paint and it takes a long time to dry. And then I'm going back over them and changing them almost completely with um, transparent paint, but it's really getting sticky and icky and and I, I kind of create a problem but it feels so good to just destroy the preciousness of anything and and just wreck it and like get all of this um this discomfort out of me and then then it's on this canvas and then I have to figure out how to climb out of that hole again and I, I look into this I look through the layers I put on I see what's underneath and I can start to pull it out again I could start to find it again. And when I do, I'm way past the photograph. I'm way past whatever idea that I had about what I wanted to make. And now I'm just like, I wonder what's this going to do and what that color is going to do. And I have no idea if it's going to work and it probably won't work half the time, but nobody cares. You know what? No one, no one cares and you never have to show anybody what it is. But for me, I've got to get lost right now because I'm going to get so bored if I if I'm not lost. You know, I, well, I love hearing you say that because like paint in particular is the perfect medium to get artists in touch with destroying. It's like, I can't think of many other, like if you're writing, you can always save drafts as files and stuff. Like everything's always sort of set and you can progress that way. But each yeah. stroke in painting, it's destroying something hopefully for the benefit of something else. It's always like what's under it just got eliminated for a new thing. And that's a real, that's a real intense process to, to create with. And it seems like it fits your personality quite well. <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was the one thing that, that changed when I, when, so when my mother died, there was like this, it felt like a betrayal of the art process for me. I was like, God, I built this perfect container and it's just not holding all of these emotions like it used to. It's not working. This whole art life is not delivering. And it wasn't until I started tearing it down, literally tearing the paintings apart, you know, covering them with black paint and then wiping the black paint off and seeing what's stuck and, and then dripping mineral spirits over it and seeing what happened as it kind of burned through the through the varnishes and making these blisters and, and then just kind of making these things. It was so satisfying that I was like, oh, wow, Whew, that felt great. I mean, that's, I needed that. Wow. It, it's, you know, when we get too precious about things, we get really boxed in and it becomes um, a prison that you can't discover anything new in. Whereas if you purposefully create a kind of 
detour or mess or unexpected problem, um, the potential is incredible. The potential becomes limitless. I remember I learned this at the academy accidentally because I, I made my, what we called them then were diploma projects. And I made one and it was fine. It was great, whatever. Then I made a second one and it was um, extra. I didn't really have to do it, but I had time. So I made a, a second painting. I know now everybody makes like 10 paintings, but then we just were supposed to make one. And in this second one, I was really struggling with this part of it. There were these big four foot knees that were just, they were flexed and they were coming out of the canvas and I didn't know anything about knees. And I was struggling and struggling. And I, one day I just took a palette knife to it and just started to really fiercely slap paint on it and scrape it off. And anything that was on my palette, I was just really getting aggressive and not careful. And my friend Maggie came by the studio. She was across the hall and she came in and she looked at the painting and she's, oh no, what happened to it? Oh my gosh, it's too bad. And I got this amazing feeling inside of me of like, oh wow, the pressure's off. Now this is garbage and there's nothing at stake. Now I can start actually painting on it. You know what I mean? It, it was this really transformative moment. And from then on, I knew, I was like, that's the turning point right there. When you stop trying so damn hard to make it cool or make it good or make it what you thought you wanted it to be, and you actually just tear it up and then like let go, then you can really get to work on it. So That's so great. I love that. It might also, I feel like part of what you're describing, you're, you're, you're also kind of an intense personality, right? Um, I, I freak out if I lose control for like, you know, of painting or anything else for like five seconds. But um, we, I feel like when we're young, we feel like there's almost like this invisible observer watching us and being like, all right, you know, like if you fuck this up, then what happens? Or like, you know, we feel like there's someone watching and it matters. And that's I feel like- ego. One of, that's, that's the super ego. Is that the super ego? I feel yeah. like one of, one of the gifts- of, you know, like I overall, I don't think I'm going to like getting older. If I could, I would just stay like, I don't know, 32 forever or something. But um, one of the gifts of time is realizing that actually you're right. No one cares. No one is really watching. And the only person you have to reckon with is yourself. And maybe you're not even watching. You, you know, maybe you, you 10 years on are going to be like, oh, you, Alyssa or Dina or Marshall, you with your baby problems of, you know, 2020, how young and innocent you all were like none of it really mattered and that is kind of a gift like realizing that there's no one to reckon with no one's going to judge us no one's going to tell you know no one's going to gossip about us really no one cares other than maybe ourselves so yeah uh, yeah we can't live in fear of what people are going to think or how something is going to come out or how it's going to be received i mean especially as an artist in the in the studio you know what i mean like they there really is nothing. It's, no one's going to die on your table. No one's going to lose a fortune of money because you gave them bad advice. Like it is the most low stakes job, but that is the responsibility is that you take advantage of that, that kind of low stakes situation, that, that room to experiment without abandon, with, with just complete impulse and um, fearlessness. That's the place to do it. And was there any pressure on you ever to kind of keep doing the things that you felt you were stuck in because it was selling or, you know, or did you always have the guts to be like, yeah, 
you know, like, fuck off. I'm going to do what I want to do. (laughs) What I felt, what I felt confined by was that I would have all of these, um, I would start a series of paintings. Like I would start 12 large, large canvases at once. And so, you know, by the third one, maybe I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want to, but I I would have to finish all 12 of them. I wasn't going to not finish them, you know? So that, it was really a self-imposed goal, that I had to make all of the paintings I thought of. There is something about me that, that I, I have come to understand and be conscious of that I didn't realize was there at all that time, was if I have an idea, I commit to it and I must execute it. I can't, I feel like almost superstitious about not finishing an idea that I won't be able to get to the next one if I don't fully... <laughs> realize and I like it's like it has to be born into the world in order for another uh another kind of sprout to form another idea another conception to happen I've got to actually birth this one out so I felt like I wasn't done with that series and I had to keep finishing it and I and I kind of I really do trust that the creative at this point after 30 years of this I I do trust that one thing is going to lead to another and all I have to do is be loyal to the process and be faithful to it and keep com- recommitting and recommitting. Just don't give up. You know, there's very few paintings I didn't finish. There really are. And so it's all self-imposed. I don't, I had a gallery dare once tell me they wanted me to paint something specific and I was like, this is the last time we are going to be working together. <laughs> It's not like, it it almost is like a a signal to me, like a beacon of, no, (laughs) you know, I will not be controlled. But um, no, it's all self-imposed stuff. But I do, I do feel like I have to execute an idea um, to fruition in order to really get to the next idea, which is weird. I don't know if that's helpful at all. It is because I completely understand the compulsion. Like I understand that feeling of needing to, when you were a kid, did you ever like give yourself that self-imposed thing where like, if I step on every crack or if I don't step on any of the cracks on the way from here to school, then I don't know, something good will happen. I used to, I know so my, my grandfather had Alzheimer's when we first came to America. And, um, and I remember, I remember doing that thing on the way to school where it's like, if I don't step on any of the cracks, then maybe he'll get cured. Or if I step on every single crack, then he'll get cured. Um, but I understand how you have to fit whatever project you give yourself. You have to see it all the way to the end, even if you know that it's all in your head. Even if you know that, yes, yeah. you probably will be able to find the next thing. Yeah, it's like, um, I feel like I've been, I've, the ideas are not necessarily coming from me. They're coming from something else. And it's not like a ghost or a spirit or a muse. It's just like, I'm not, I'm lucky to be getting these ideas. So if I squander them, then the, the well will be switched off. Like the train is moving. If I don't get on the train, I won't be able to get on the train later, you know? So, it, and it's also even specific to the process itself. If I get an idea, say I'm working on something and I'm like, you know what? I think it would be cool if all of a sudden I painted this figure out and then just shifted them two feet to the left. I've got to do that. There'll, there'll be a vo- voice that kind of protests and be like, oh, you know, it's a lot of work. I don't know if we really have to do that. The first voice is like, no, we have to do it. We thought of it. 
we have to do it. So it's, it's kind of like I'm just committed to this, this idea stream that I do everything. And it, it bites me in the ass too, because it happens when I'm doing other things. Like I was making this little book for my niece. She don't know anybody tell her it's for Christmas, but um, I'm working on this little book and it's supposed to be just this little project, but I kept getting these ideas of how to do more things to it. And because I'm compulsive about it, it turned into like a two week long project that it was supposed to take an afternoon, you know? So it really is kind of an overwhelming compulsion of, of being completely committed to to experimentation and seeing where it goes. But that's the, I don't know, that's the motivation to go back to what Marshall, what you were asking about. Like that's, that's where all of the fuel comes from is that feeding this muscle of imagination of ideas by listening to them. You know, just from this conversation, it seems like you're, I mean, you're fierce and it feels like you're fearless. Uh, is there anything you actually are afraid of? Like, yeah. that, you know, uh, uh, totally. I'm totally, look, I don't have kids. I'm not married. That should tell you some things I'm afraid of right there. You know, um, I came close to getting married a few times and didn't. That's a big fear. Uh, you, you know, you know what? I feel it. So I have kids and I'm not married or I was married, but I'm not anymore. So possibly, I mean, possibly we should have talked a few years ago. And <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe so there's some fears I should have had, but I wasn't thinking them through well enough. <laughs> no, no, everything is good. Everything you choose is leading you to where you're going and you're going great places. So it's all good. But, but no, I'm, I'm fearless in my, in my work. I really, I have to be like, that's where I get to be, but that doesn't mean that's who I am out in the world. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much a control freak, I guess, in the kitchen. And, you know, uh, I don't, I don't think it's a blanket personality trait. I think it's just a studio practice an art philosophy, you know? Um, is it, you know, this conversation is actually really, so I'm a control freak in the studio during the very limited, um, you know, studio time I, I have when the kids allow me to paint anything. And most of the time when I begin painting, I'm like, how do I control this? How do I control this situation? And now after talking to you, I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should go break it. Like, like maybe I should go try some things that I haven't tried just because you're doing it. And you make it sound, I can actually see how you're also a really, really good teacher. Because after talking to you for an hour, I'm like, I want to do some of these things too. Even, <laughs> even if I fail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, fa- the word fail is such a trigger word, right? Like it's, that's what makes us afraid is like, oh, it could fail. But when you're motivated by the, the, the feeling of release or relief or curiosity or um, exploration, th- those kinds of feelings, then failure is not, it doesn't matter. So like I said, there's paintings that I've made that I'm like, whoa, those do not look good. But I have the best memories of making them, you know, that I wouldn't trade that for anything because I'm motivated by that, that feeling of doing something brave, of doing something adventurous, of doing something unknown, of doing something that could have more potential than anything I could have imagined. I 
also wonder if, because you have, back when you were at the academy, you know, they did give you kind of this atelier training where Mm -hmm. you're just taught to sit there and work through something over and over and over again until it kind of starts looking pretty good. And I'm wondering if it actually is those chops and and actually is that kind of, you know, remember sitting there doing a bark drawing for like 80 hours, right? But I wonder if the reason you're not afraid is that you actually know that you could work through anything. And if you just put enough life and enough energy into it, you could probably make it look pretty good. And that might be taking the fear away. Well, like I said, I mean, I, I don't like things to look pretty good. Um, <laughs> All right. They're either going to be amazing or terrible. Like that's the only two places I want to, I want to focus. But to, to be honest, there, I really do believe it, that there is a conversation between the, the Apollonian and the Dionysian, you know, so that organized training was something I really wanted at that time. And that there was no um, experimentation so much as, you know, uh, unless it was according to this kind of training. I mean, I, I was learning a lot of the things I didn't know before, but it, it didn't feel like the Dionysian. It didn't feel like, you know, throw caution to the wind and break all the rules and see what happens. It was organized. It was intensive training. That was very much an Apollonian kind of mindset of measuring and mixing and planning and and really being very um, systematic. But I feel like and I, and I do, Yeah, I do value having done that. Um, I wanted that really badly because before that, I was 100% Dionysian. It was an accident. It was a train wreck every time I picked up a brush and it was pure experimental craziness. And it was, it was something that I loved about painting, but I was frustrated because I couldn't ever fully express what I wanted to express, right? So I needed that Apollonian piece and I did really harness those skills as hard as I could. But then I had to figure out how to blend them because if you, I believe for me, if I just stuck with that intense systematic training, now I've basically choked this emotional side, this impulsive side, this side that was like, wait a second, that was my playground. You just killed it. Like, where do I go now? I would have gone crazy. So that's when I discovered the way that water could distort things and make things more abstract. And I could start to figure out a way to blend the Apollonian and the Dionysian. But I'm still working on that. I'm still working on on that um, balance and that conversation between the two. But to, to really answer your question, I don't mess things up thinking, oh, no, I could totally bring this back. Like, I don't have that kind of confidence, to be honest. I I know better than to have that kind of confidence in the studio because I had my ass kicked by my own paintings where I'm like completely lost and don't know how to get out of the black hole that I've put myself in. Um, so no, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm that, you know, that skilled that I can do anything. But uh, I, what I'm saying is I actually enjoy the feeling of having to figure it out. I just know that's what I get off on. So I'm going to put myself there. It's it's funny when you said that you're not a risk taker in the rest of life. It feels like you would be. Like it feels like you'd be the person that, you know, the first person bungee jumping off the cliff, like, no, you know, like, like off no, the no. Never will do that. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even ski anymore. I used to ski. I don't do that. I barely jump. Like I, I really feel more comfortable with both my feet or at least one foot is always on the ground at one point. I'm 
not interested in those kind. Of, I I would be a COVID pro. I could teach classes on mask wearing. I'm not <laughs> taking any risks with COVID. Um, no, I don't think of myself as a thrill seeker in any way. Uh, yeah. um, except for the way you make art. So maybe that's, that's your adrenaline junkie side. It's all going into the studio. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was my solution is to put it in one safe spot, you know, and, and that was the container I chose and it, that's what works. Like as my last question, is there anything you would, you know, I feel like so many people who are listening are, I mean, A, they followed your work for years, B, a lot of them are probably artists. Is there any word of advice that you have either for them in the studio or specifically for them in the studio right now? Like we have a long, dark winter ahead of us. Yeah, we do. Um, we really do. It's going to be, it's going to be really a, an interesting winter ahead. And I think we should be planning for it. Um, personally, I'm, I'm insulating myself with a lot of support, you know, and knowing that it, it's an isolating time got to reach out to your community members and create some kind of support system for yourself. Like, even if you set up like a weekly chat with a couple of friends, artist friends, where you show each other your work or something, um, or you join a class, you know, New York Academy has some like a weekly drawing class or something. Um, try to figure out a way to support yourself through this or reach for support emotionally, artistically, um, make a list of the things that excite you and are inspiring to you and reach for them on purpose. Because right now it's going to take um, a lot of intention to get ourselves through this in a healthy way. Whereas before you could accidentally show up at an art opening and find some inspiration that's just right there in front of you. Or, you know, you accidentally start up a conversation with someone at dinner and that's going to be something you think about later. Those moments are not going to happen. You have to reach for them and you have to create them. So on purpose, I would say, fill yourself with, with things that inspire you and, and motivate you and things that are, you're, you're curious about. And then the second thing I would say is none of this counts. Anything you do <laughs> in the next three or four months doesn't count. So just do whatever your heart desires and, and don't judge it, you know, don't judge it at all because why, what's the good of that, you know? And to be honest, it's actually the key to making something good, you know, and something good only means, you know, we've never seen it before. So how could you even premeditate how to make something good? It's always going to be a discovery. Um, but give yourself a break, no pressure. You don't have to be amazing right now. Take really good care of yourself. This is hard. This is really, really hard. And we're looking at some even darker times ahead. So I don't know. You know what also I would say? I, I picked up a new medium um, just to kind of re-engage in a different way with something that really doesn't matter. Like no one expects me to all of a sudden be a pen and ink artist. No one would judge me on it if I couldn't do it or whatever. So it's perfect. So I've gotten into these dipping pens and I'm just obsessed with them. And I feel like when I'm doing it, I'm doing some kind of secret project that no one knows about. And like, I never have to show anyone or anything, but it's the perfect, another little outlet of creativity that doesn't matter. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a novice. 
Uh, will will you ever show anyone? Uh, you know, even I don't know. like a- <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I'm not going to show you right now, but I I will maybe show you privately. So okay, okay, off, off, <laughs> off screen, off off Zoom. I would love to see you know what Alyssa Monks is doing. You know, with with dipping brushes, because I think it would be a completely fascinating like look into what goes on in your head. Definitely a different different perspective. So, but it's fun. I mean, I kind of have visions and stuff, and then. You know, you get curious and you got to experiment and try it. And then to be honest, that's just the beginning of the adventure, right? Because you end up in a different place than you expected, hopefully. So I'll let you know. My, my one last question, if, if what goes, you know, what goes might be the art market, um, or at least it might be the gallery system as we knew it, which was kind of crumbling anyway, right? Um, or, you know, why bother having a virtual art fair or why bother getting through in touch with an artist through a gallery or through a fair when you can, you know, write them directly or, you know, have a Zoom studio visit with them, et cetera. Uh, what stays is art. Do you think you have any idea of what what comes next? Because there will be new opportunities and there will be new, like I feel there'll be new doors opening. I just don't know what they are yet. And and do you? Yeah, no, I I hear you. Um, I still do think people like to go into a space and view work in person. I don't think that will ever go away. I don't know that it needs to be a fair or, or, a, or a gallery. I mean, the interesting thing about art fairs is that they started because of the struggle of galleries. And galleries got together and decided to work together to create a venue where they could um, attract more people together. You know, it wasn't always the, the situation it is now. It was, it was very different when they started. But, um, yeah, more things will happen. I think it's actually very cool to do these virtual gallery tours where you can hear the artists talk about the work, even if it's in a different part of the, the world. So I think those are innovations that can be, um, that can stay and become part of our, our normal interaction, you know, and, and where we can really look at the work kind of sort of up close when we can't go and see it up close, you know, through this kind of video interaction and have the artist talk about it. I mean, that could be really great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't actually feel that worried about that. I think artists are great. Galleries are going to figure it out and we're going to come up with things as, as a group as to how to, how to interact with each other and, and, um, in this new framework. But, Things evolve and change. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think it's bad, but I do think it'll be really, you know, like I do think it'll be really different when we're on the other side. I just don't know what, you know, the, like the only thing I know is that making art will be as valid as it ever was. I think the only danger is the refusal to evolve. You know, that's the only danger. Like even with restaurants now, you go around and you see some restaurants have figured out how to have outdoor dining and heaters and make it nice and friendly. And they figured out fantastic ways to get more takeout and, and even deliver alcohol to people and incentivize their, their business to continue to thrive. And then some restaurants are like, no, I'm just going to board it up. I'm just going to be mad that it's not the way I want it to be. And I am not going to grow. I'm not going to figure out new ways. And I think galleries and artists have to be the same way. They have to be willing to learn new skills and, figure out new ways to evolve into a new world that we're in. And it's not going back to what it was. It's never going back to what it was, you know? So 
it just doesn't it it just doesn't have to be worse like just because it's never going back no it's not it definitely doesn't have to be worse it it's not that's not how humanity works you know we always invent and evolve so that's why i trust us i trust people to figure it out not every single individual i don't think but as a group it, it will it'll happen so I think the only danger is to be one of those individuals that refuses to grow and refuses to see a vision that is different than what we've been used to, you know, and it's hard. It's a little painful to let go of some of the things, but whatever, it could be a bigger, better offer. We just have to figure out what's possible and be creative, scrappy and imaginative and hopeful and, and inventive and just see what we can do. What do you miss most about the old normal? You know, like if this is a new normal, what do you miss most about 2019 or, you know, any time before last March? Uh, I'm really, there's two things I miss. Uh, One of, I really miss being touched and touching and hugging and kissing and being close to someone physically. That, I mean, is starting to really be something I miss more. (laughs) Um, the other thing I miss is I miss cooking for people and eating with them. I love having people over for meals and cooking for people and just sitting them down and entertaining them in my own space. I miss that. I wanted one of the first things I'm going to do. Just have a big dinner party. <laughs> a huge dinner party. Yeah. And kiss everybody. You're <laughs> <laughs> all invited. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, can we, can we show up? I don't know. We can like, like, like we don't have to all make out unless, you know, unless, uh, unless. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what it's like in 2021 and what new policies have been. It, it, the roaring twenties yeah. are coming. Back. It, it might just be a massive great Gatsby style orgy. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like once you, you like touch someone and like, Oh, hi, how are you? And then you're like, Oh, that feels good. <laughs> holding your hand oh wow let me touch your face a little yeah it could happen could happen you know we're starved for touch not everybody is though i mean you know a lot of people have people they're living with and stuff so um you know what those people are having an even harder time like if you talk to anyone in like a relationship where they've been just with their beloved i don't know husband or wife and you know and and children at home and they're going if anything they're probably going more crazy like i feel like it's been so tough on relationships uh yeah that too it's all unnatural. Any any way you slice it, there it's unnatural for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like we weren't meant to be alone this much, but we're all, we also weren't meant to be in like a tiny family unit this much. Um, and uh, and this much stress, this much uncertainty. You oof. know, it's really uh, we're gonna have a lot of PTSD after all this. Like we're adapting, but I still think there's a, a stress level that has not let up since March. I totally agree. Yeah. Alyssa, thank you so, so much for being here with us. And I I don't know, this was incredibly, it was generous and inspiring. And thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. Hey, thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey. I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview. I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now. So call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times. Let us know what's on your mind and we'll play it on our next episode. 
The number is 929-267-4830. Again, it's 929-267-4830. Artgrindpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind. Hey guys, this is Daniel Gonzalez from Long Beach, California. I've been on a marathon with you guys right now. I I listen to you guys on my runs, literally. And when I'm making art in the studio, you guys are a great company and it feels like I'm painting uh, again with my friends and buddies, which is something I really miss and I look forward to doing again. You know, there's a certain amount of joy I get when I'm making art with my friends and you guys have become my friends, so I'm happy to support you guys and keep keep doing what you guys are doing. I think it's great. Again, thanks for what you do. All right.